You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Chester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. So are you ready for the Word of God today? Fantastic. I want to speak about we hunger for Holy Spirit. And you know, it's just an honor to be at Audacious Church. Uh, we, uh, we are good friends with Pastor Glenn and so forth, and we love them dearly, and we respect them. It's an honor to serve on the board. It's also an honor to serve them in le- different leadership roles. And we had a great evening last night with Pastor Lee and Lizandri, and um, you have great leaders in this church. This church is has a great wattage of great leaders. And so I know that you're going to become a leader in life because when you follow the greatest leader who ever lived, Jesus, it takes a great follower to become a great leader. If you're too big to follow, you're too small to lead. And so be a follower of great leadership. Be a follower of Jesus and become the leader your family needs, your community needs, your company needs, your, they need in the factory, wherever you are. And so I want to speak about hunger for Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Although I do like that. But of righteousness, peace, and joy in Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not, we're not into religious behavior and behavior modification to impress a God who we need to appease because he's angry. That's religion. That's a form of religion. We have a relationship with Jesus, and everything we do, we don't do to impress God. We do it because God, while we were not impressive, while we were still in our sin, He sent His best. He sent His Son, Jesus, to die for us. And there's nothing we have to do to impress God because God, Jesus has already done everything we need to be done. And if He doesn't do anything else for us, He's done enough for us by taking upon Himself our sin, our past, present, and future sin when you believe in Jesus. So the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating, drinking, but of righteousness. That's our identity. If you're a believer in Jesus, your identity is not in your activity. Your identity is not in your past, your ancestry. Your identity is in Christ. Because Jesus died for you, and the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin, that you and I, the sinners, might become the righteousness of God in him. So my identity is that I'm righteous. Now, no one can see God or be with God until they're holy or righteous. But, and so I have righteousness when I believe in Jesus. The moment you believe in Jesus, you get the gift of righteousness. I'm not perfect. You can find out from my wife. You can queue up and find out afterwards. But I'm not perfect, but I am righteous. Because righteousness is a gift from God. It's not a trophy. A trophy has to be deserved and earned by your performance. It's not about my performance. It's about what Jesus already accomplished through his performance on the cross on my behalf so that when I believe in Jesus, I receive a gift. It's called righteousness. That's my identity. Not only that, I have peace. That's my possession, and I have a disposition of joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Paul writes in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. You could be in the storm of your life. You could be fighting for your health. You could be fighting for your family. You could be fighting for a relationship, but you can still have peace 
in a storm. Because the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking and your circumstances and the storms you're going through, but of your identity, who you are. Your possession, what you have, you have the peace of God and your disposition, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. So we're going to talk about that. How do we hunger for Holy Spirit? One, we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're going to pick it up in 1 Samuel 30. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town in Ziglag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziglag. They had crushed Ziglag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off all the women and the children, everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins, they realized what had happened to their families. Verse 4, they wept until they could weep no more. Have you ever been in a place where you've wept until you can weep no more? What do you do when you have no weeping left within you, when you're overwhelmed by your situation, your grief, your loss, your tragedy, your betrayal, the deceit, the divorce, the retrenchment. What do you do? You know, since COVID, it seems like we're more fragile as a species, as humanity. We're more fragile. We've lost our, ability, our resilience and our resistance. And so they wept until they could weep no more. Verse 5, David's two wives, Nome and Abby, were among those who were captured. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters. And they began to talk of stoning him. They wanted him stoned. And that's not in the modern rendition of the word that we use it. They wanted him dead. These were grown men, battle-tested men. Who had fought with David. David had led them from Adullam's cave. They were in debt. They were distressed. They were in bitterness. He had changed their lives. They fought battles with David and for David. They followed him when it didn't make sense. David feigned insanity amongst the uh, Philistine kings. He failed to lift his hand against Saul. Saul wanted to kill David, and David had the opportunity to take Saul out, and he, and he, and he refused. He said, I will not lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. That's exactly what I say to Karen when she lifts up a pan in the kitchen. Lift not up thy hand against the Lord's anointed. Men, you should remember that scripture. It'll come in handy. But David had been through so much with his men, and yet the backstory is that David was now lining up with the Philistines to face Saul in battle, but the Philistine kings didn't trust him, so they sent him back to Ziglag. He was given Ziglag by the Philistines because the Philistines thought, now we have David on our side. But in this battle, they didn't trust him, so they sent him back. And when they get back, horror of horrors, Ziglag is burnt down. Their families have gone, and they are grieving. So what do you do when no one wants to talk to you? What do you do? When people want to stone you, they want you dead. What do you do when people cancel you? What do you do when people reject you? What do you do when people speak about you, but they won't speak to you? Listen to what David did. But David found strength in the Lord his God. There's got to be a place that you and I can go to where we don't find strength in the people around us, but we find strength in the God who saved us. 
Verse 7, then he said to Abathar, the priest, bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought it, and David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? You've got a question in your heart, in your mind today. You've got to make some decisions this week. And, and won't you be open to what Holy Spirit wants to say to you today? Shall I chase after them, this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord said to him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. What has been taken from you that you need to go after? Because God is with you. What happens when the enemy, when life, when living in a fallen world takes and steals from you? Jesus said in John 10, 10, the enemy, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life. Even the thief takes advantage of us. Even when we've made bad decisions, we've displayed ignorance or made mistakes or we've had mixed motives. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I believe it's a time for believers to stand up in who they are because of whose they are and take authority because they're seated with Christ in heavenly places. And sometimes we've got to stand up for our families and we've got to say, Satan, you come this far and you're not going any further. I'm taking you out of my house, out of my situation, out of my family situation. We need authority. We need believers to take authority. When something is stolen, when the devil, when the enemy has stolen your joy, stolen from you, taken something. And there's nothing like, and how do we illustrate this? Nothing like Liam Neeson when his daughter was taken. And I wanted to read this paragraph, but I thought, who's got a brilliant Irish accent? And so I'm going to ask Pastor Lee to come and read this um, authoritative statement of a father whose daughter's been taken by the enemy. Can you give him a hand, please? Now, with your best <clears throat> I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills skills that I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make people like me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Come on! There's nothing like the Irish accent to put the fear of God into you. <laughs> but David found strength in the Lord, his God. Their word strength is the Hebrew chazak, which means not only encouraged himself in the Lord, but an obstinate resolve. In fact, Pastor Glenn spoke about this at Brotherhood. To play the man, to get a grip, to behave valiantly, to, uh, yeah, here's how the King James would put it, to gird up his loins. And I, I, I can imagine the modern uh, translation of that, which I do want to not bring from this platform. <laughs> Friends, our children have been taken by this world's depleting values, 
for what is true, what is pure, what is right, and what is God-honoring in our identity. There's an overwhelming sense that our children have been taken by social media, by society, by education systems, by the fickleness of disproportional elevation of their feelings above everything else. We live in a world where we're reaping the consequences of secular humanism through the Enlightenment, which is really an oxymoron, through um, the influences of the humanities, of sociology, of, of, of psychology. In the 19th and 18th century, men like Sigmund Freud, Karl Marx, Friedrich Nietzsche, who declared in the Enlightenment that God is dead and that man's pursuit is his own happiness, and that happiness can only be found in pursuing your feelings, and that there is no moral construct with any, any human being for any transcendent morality, because God is dead. And so that we will find our fulfillment in our life through pursuing pleasure to help us with the pain of living on this planet. And that the pursuit of pleasure needs to come at all expenses. And in fact, that goes far as building into secular humanism a, a, a resolve that, that in fact empowers even government to legislate that people should live by their basic instinct. They diminish humanity to basic instinct of animals, that we need to pursue our feelings, and our feelings will only find pleasure in eroticism, in finding our identity in our sexuality. And so we live in a world where people are pursuing their feelings at the cost of everything else. My feelings become my fact, and my fact becomes my truth, and my truth is eternal. And we heard on Friday night how feelings are temporary and they're fickled, but truth is eternal. And so we're putting the pressure on people who don't have the intellectual reasonability nor the emotional maturity to choose their diet to then be able to choose their gender. We're in dangerous ground. Marx, Nietzsche, you name them, reject the idea of any morality or transcendence. I heard of a father whose daughter came home from school she was very unhappy. And she was persistently unhappy and said, well, darling, what's happening? He said, well, I have a guy at school and he just, he, he, he invades my space and he, he's weird. And, he, and so I said, have you told him to back off? Have you told him? Yes, I've given him warnings. I've told him. And um, he, 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 he thinks he's a cat and he wants to be a cat. And so he's purring up next to me and he wants to, and so did you tell your teacher? Yeah, and they put out a cat box for him and so so everyone's happy so so but he but he's invading your space you have you warned him have you told him have you have you been able to articulate your discomfort at him invading yours yes but he keeps coming and coming and coming so he says what do you feel like doing because everyone's living by their feelings these days he says I feel like slapping him 
So the dad said to the daughter, well, I would have said to my daughter. Well, then slap him. But I'll get into trouble. Well, then you tell your teacher you identify as a Rottweiler. And if the school calls me in, I'm going to ask the administration who was the bright spark who put a cat and a Rottweiler in the same class. <laughs> Friends, we need someone to stand up for, and have a voice for those who don't have a voice for themselves. And that's nothing new in our faith. We speak at Liberty Church, we have homes for orphans who through the AIDS pandemic lost their parents. And we have three, uh, two houses now, but we've been serving widows and orphans and childhood households throughout Southern Africa for years. We have a safe house for those being rescued out of human trafficking in Bulgaria. With our currency, with our economy, doesn't stop us from stepping into the destiny that God has called us to stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves, to speak for those who don't have a voice. That when you have a righteous relationship with Jesus, it leads you to justice, to compassion, to caring for those who can't care for themselves. And that's what God's called us to. Amen. We need to take leadership. We need to take authority at home, at work. And because it's hard, doesn't mean that it won't harm us. But we have a comforter, and his name is Holy Spirit. He's a person. He's the third person of the diversity of the unity of the Trinity. David spoke to his soul when no one else could speak to him. When people want to stone you, who do you speak to? What do you speak to yourself? You see, when your soul is overwhelmed, when your emotions run right, when you're in a roller coaster of a journey, the danger is not just the immediate danger you're facing, but the danger of making the next decision without the Holy Spirit's comfort, wisdom, and courage. Notice, David strengthened himself in the Lord before he prayed. Many of us go to prayer, but we cannot hear the voice of God because our emotions are running rogue. Our thoughts are so loud that we cannot hear the voice of God. So what did he do? What did David do? He strengthened himself in the Lord. Well, the Bible says he was a psalmist. I'm sure he went and he worshipped. I'm sure he pulled out a harp and started singing, mm, the Lord is my shepherd. Mm, I don't know, you know, maybe he's saying. Psalm 103 says, bless the Lord of my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Listen, when you cannot hear God, when your emotions are running right, when you are on a roller coaster of your circumstances, the worst thing you can do is stay away from praise and worship. You've got to get into the house of God. You've got to put on a worship CD. You've got to open your Bible. And you've got to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Because God inhabits the praises of his people. And when he moves into your praise, he can move into your life. Amen. So how do we find strength today? In the New Testament, this side of the cross. We find strength, we find help, we find comfort, we find courage in the storm by being filled with Holy Spirit. To be hungry for Holy Spirit. In the constant waves of secular humanism, emotionally charged self-aggrandization, 
in, in a woke culture, in a world where human trafficking is a multi-billion dollar industry supplying the demand for men mostly who are debauched in their pursuit of their own happiness by abusing women and children. We need to stand up and speak truth. And that kind of courage, that kind of comfort, it comes from Holy Spirit. Who takes us to the truth? Who reveals Jesus? Who floods us with the Father's love? Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 15, when the helper comes, speaking of the paracletos, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, he proceeds, who proceeds from the Father, he will lead you into all truth. You see, the Holy Spirit is to you and I today who Jesus was to the disciples back in the day. Jesus said, it's good that I go. Why? Because when the Holy Spirit comes, he will reveal Jesus. He will lead you into truth. And he will flood you with the Father's love. In John 16, 13, Jesus said, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will lead you into all truth. Romans 5, Paul says, God's love has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The way we step from our identity into intimacy with the Father is by Holy Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 he, that, that we need to stir up the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says he who speaks in the tongue, speaks in tongues, does not speak to men, but he speaks to God. There comes a time when you can't even speak to the people who won't speak to you, but you've got to speak to the one who understands you. And Paul says when we speak in tongues, our spirit connects with God's spirit and our mind is unfruitful. The most unselfish prayer you can pray is to pray in tongues. Because every prayer we pray is usually tainted with our own agenda. We're telling God how to run our lives. But when you when you pray in tongues, you're speaking in a language you've never learned to a God you've never seen, and your spirit is connecting with God's spirit, bypassing your mind, and God is flooding you with his love. He's preparing you for your future. He's setting up your, your circumstances. He's working things on your behalf. Because God has already been, God is outside of time and space. He's already been to where you're going to. So he'll get you through what you're going through to get you to where he's taking you to. Because he's already been to where you're going to. Amen. We want to be spiritful. We want to be led by the spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 4, that he who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. So who builds you up, buttercup? Instead of speaking to your soul, speak to yourself, strengthen your spirit, man, and then you speak to your soul by speaking in a language you've never learned. If you are strengthened in the spirit, Paul says in church, I'd rather say words that of prophecy because prophecy encourage, exhort, and comfort. But the power of tongues is to build you up. If prophecy builds other people up, then what builds you up? And how can you build others up until you built up? Well, when I speak in tongues, I build myself up. I pray to God in the Spirit. But when I prophesy, I build you up. Paul says, let's go 
let's go to this. Paul says this, he says, I speak tongues more than you all. This is Paul, the apostle who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He says, I want you all to speak in tongues. Oh, I don't know if I can. No, you can, because you've got a tongue, and you've got a hand over your control so that he's in control. And you've got to just step out in faith and get rid of your ego and your pride, yield and submit to him, and start praying in a language you've never learned. And then you start praising in a language you never learned. So Paul says this, I speak in tongues more than you all. But in church, in the public arena, I would rather say five intelligent words that I may instruct others, because Paul's other gift is teaching, than 10,000 words in tongues. So Paul says, when I'm in the public arena, I'd rather say five intelligent words that I may instruct others, than 10,000 words in tongues. What did he mean? This is what I believe he means. In the private praise, in his prayer life, he spoke 10,000 words in tongues. And when he stepped into the public arena, his five words had the backup of 10,000 words of anointing, of speaking in the Spirit and letting his Spirit connect with God's Spirit. Because friend, the reality is you are a Spirit being. You're not just a human being having a temporary spiritual experience in church this morning. You are a spirit being having a temporary human experience on planet Earth. That's who you really are because your identity is in Him. So you don't know what to say at the meeting you've been called into on Tuesday morning. What are you going to say in that meeting? How are you going to resolve that conflict? What ideas are you going to come up for the company? Well, before you get to the five words you're going to say, Get alone with God and speak 10,000 words in a language you've never learned. Because God knows what you should say. God's got the answer for you. So when you arrive at the meeting, you've got something to say. And it may only be five words. Well, you don't know what to say to your teenager. You're actually quite nervous to confront your teenager about something. And the reason you're quite nervous to confront your teenager is you're still young enough to remember what kind of teenager you were. So what am I going to say to this incredible person who I love, but I'm not sure how to communicate with them? Because since they were 13 years old, they moved from a fantastic vocabulary to just local sounds. <clears throat> I don't know what to say to them. Well, don't worry about what you're going to say to them. Spend time with the Father of all fathers. Spend time with Holy Spirit and speak 10,000 words in tongues. And then when you speak to your teenager, God's going to give you five words that's going to change their life and, 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 and bring the love of Jesus to bear on their situation, their personality, their future, and their destiny. Amen. We need a hunger for you. David encouraged himself, strengthened himself in the Lord. Jesus says the way we do that by pressing in to the person of the Holy Spirit, the Paracletus who comes alongside us to strengthen us. Thank you for listening to this Audacious podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com.
We'd love for you to join us at one of our campuses, Manchester, Chester, or online, every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 12 p.m. 